Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to First National's second quarter 2020 analyst call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session. Instructions will be given at that time on how to queue to ask a question. This call is being recorded for replay purposes on July 28th at 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. It is now my pleasure to turn the call over to Stephen Smith. Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of First National. Please proceed, Mr. Smith. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our call, and thank you for participating. Rob Ingalls, our Chief Financial Officer, and Maurice Dawes, Executive Vice President, joined me from their home offices. Well, actually, we're in person at our Toronto office today. Um, I will remind you that our remarks and answers may contain forward-looking information about future events or the company's future performance. This information is subject to risk and uncertainty and should be considered in conjunction with the risk factors detailed in the MDNA. With the Bank of Canada estimating that economic activity is 15% below where it was at the end of 2019, Q2 was a challenging period for the economy. Despite this difficult background, First National staged a strong recovery from Q1 when we recorded a small loss, our first since we began using hedge accounts. Pre-fair market value income increased 42% compared to Q1 and 12% compared to Q2 last year. Net income moved from a loss of $0.05 cents per common share in Q1 to a profit of $0.84 cents per common share in Q2. Notably, net income was ahead of Q2 last year by 14%. Strong profitability meant the after-tax dividend payout ratio against pre-fair market value income was 53% in Q2. Results of the second quarter exceeded our expectations and were driven by single-family origination growth in wider mortgage spreads. Rob will speak to spreads in his remarks. Looking at production, single-family mortgage originations were 15% or $600 million higher than a year ago. We didn't grow in all regions, but we did in our two largest markets. Compared to last year, single-family originations were up 32% in Ontario, our largest market, and 22% in British Columbia. This growth was more than enough to offset an 8% decline in Calgary and a 6% reduction in Montreal. We don't read too much quarter variances, but what we can say that in all regions, the First National team did an outstanding job of responding to the needs of the mortgage broker community and the lending opportunities brokers brought to us. Our sense is that brokers have gained market in the branch of mobile sales forces to the large chartered banks and that we have gained market share within the broker space. The efforts of our employees aided by a Merlin underwriting system, which is the ideal solution for this time 
physical distancing as it allows brokers to track the status of mortgage submissions in real time online without the need for direct underwriter contact. As well, the paperless aspect of Merlin enables a high level of productivity for our underwriting teams. Through the first half of 2020, total single family production for weekly homes was 28% above last year. Strong showing Commercial side total production over the first half of 2020 was a record $5.7 billion, 19% above last year. This growth was achieved despite a 65% decline in conventional mortgage origination in the second quarter. This reduction was not surprising since pandemic-related risk and conventional market participants to the sidelines in Q2. Conversely, Demand for insured commercial segment mortgages was strong, with Q2 originations up 32% from last year. The largest part of our commercial business in the multifamily residential space were First National, leading CMHC approved lender. Our presence in both insured and conventional commercial lending markets has certainly helped First National over time, and credit goes to the commercial team for developing the expertise Mortgages under administration increased to almost $160 billion, a new record, and 5% above last year. Overall, I would say First National has adjusted well to new realities, including working from home, and continue to do so for the foreseeable future. We continue to see sustained and profitable growth. I wish to thank First National employees across all departments for continuing to work tirelessly Multi-residential products, which translated to higher 
replacement fees. QT Mortgage Servicing Income increased 5% or about $2 million due to growth in revenue earned by the company's underwriting and fulfillment processing servicing business. Revenue growth in these activities as well as 124% growth in gains on deferred placement fees more than offset lower net interest revenue and lower mortgage investment income. Net interest revenue earned on securitized mortgages decreased 39% or about $13.6 million, largely due to the financial consequences of the pandemic, including temporary compression in securitization spreads and the cost of indemnities uh, payable to NHA MBS debt holders. To get a bit more detail, the company reduced its prime rate in March by 1.5% following the Bank of Canada's overnight rate adjustments. However, when the funding cost reporting rate debt related to NHMBS and after back commercial paper conduits were reset on April the 1st, the cost of funds for the month of April was lower by just 90 basis points. Resulting 60 basis point compression in securitization spread reduced the earnings, company's earnings by about $4 million. Funding costs normalized in May and June. The cost of funds related to ABCP conduits continued to be higher than last year. We believe this is partially the result of ABCP conduits selling three-month paper so that pre-pandemic rates are still being passed through. While these costs have decreased recently, they are still higher than the last year, and this has reduced securitization margins by an additional $2 million. But the most significant impact was the cost of indemnities payable debt holders for the mortgage prepay prior to their scheduled maturity date. The indemnities are calculated to make whole NHAMBS debt holders who are assumed to reinvest the prepayment principal at risk-free reinvestment rates. With recent decrease in interest rates, the cost of these indemnities increased significantly. This resulted in a $9.9 million increase in securitized mortgage interest expense year-over-year Growth in the Excalibur Securization Program offset some of this negative variance as did growth in securitized commercial segment mortgages. Looking at Q2 mortgage investment income, it decreased 22% or about $4.8 billion, primarily due to the lower interest rate environment brought on by the pandemic. Last quarter, we discussed mortgage payment deferrals and noted that in response to COVID-19, First National would provide qualifying borrowers with three-month deferrals and would consider granting a second three-month deferral in cases of extended hardship. By mid-May, the company had approved mortgage uh, payment deferrals for about 33,800 single-family borrowers or 13.9% of eligible single-family MUA. However, by mid-July, this number has fallen to 10,473 borrowers or approximately 4.2% of the relevant MUA. About a quarter of borrowers granted initial deferral are now requesting an extension, although many borrowers also rescinded their deferral arrangement before the initial three-month period expired. Deferred mortgages are not classified as delinquent or in arrears and will not be reported to mortgage default insurers or credit bureaus. Most of the company's own exposure is to mortgages that are insured the increase for the company, uh, the issue of the company is in cash flow and generally not credit losses. From an accounting perspective, these deferred mortgages will cease to amortize and interest otherwise payable will be capitalized. The principal of the mortgage, the mortgage balances will increase during this period. 
It's only where the company has securitized mortgages that it is required to fund these debt obligations. This is most significant for the company's NHA MBS program, as the issuer, First National, is required to make timely payments on the NHA MBS securities it has issued. So despite not having or receiving the payments from borrowers on the mortgages that support the NHA MBS, the company is still required to pay the interest and the amortizing principal on the debt. At June 30th, 2020, this obligation has required the investment by the company of about $39 million, compared to about $5 million at the end of March 2020. We're hopeful that as the economy reopens, the need for borrowers to seek mortgage deferrals will continue to dissipate. Now, here's more with our outlook. Good morning, everyone. Our Q2 performance was surprisingly strong, given the extent of the economic and social disruptions that certainly exceeded our expectations. We're pleased with the results, but that being said, we still face much uncertainty regarding the future path of the economy with the COVID-19 uncertainty still present. It's difficult to look too far ahead. What we can say is that compared to the comments we made at the end of Q1, our outlook has turned relatively positive. We're hopeful the trends established in Q2 will continue strongly into the third quarter. I'm speaking specifically of substantially higher seasonal residential originations, good commercial segment success in originating larger volumes at higher spreads, and very good employee productivity. Reflecting about our markets in the second quarter, some of our commercial competitors temporarily reduced their activity and First National increased its market share while experiencing wider spreads. Although most competitors are now returning to the market, wider spreads are still persisting. On our residential side, we experienced substantial origination growth, which in part was due to the COVID-19 disruptions experienced by chartered banks and their branch network and mobile Salesforce channel. With Merlin, we did not face these same kind of disruptions, and nor will we. On the funding side, stronger demand from institutional investors continues because of the substantial amount of liquidity now in the financial system as a result of the government's actions in providing facilities to purchase securities and the slowdown of asset originations at most financial institutions. Securitization markets have normalized, as Stephen said. Similar in 2009, when we emerged from the credit crisis, First National is now benefiting from wider mortgage coupons related to our funding costs on the new originations. If wider spreads persist, the company will continue to benefit as we did in Q2. Of course, any forecast must be tempered by the fact that the duration and impact of COVID-19 outbreak is still unknown and is a long-term success of the government and central bank intervention. It would appear that the government's willingness to do whatever it takes to support Canadians remains as strong as ever, and it's certainly comforting to know that the emergency wage and business subsidies have been extended. That said, it's simply not possible to rely reliably estimate the length of or the severity of the pandemic and its impact on the financial results and conditions of our company. What is comforting to know is that we have strong relationships with mortgage brokers, a diverse funding source, and these factors will continue to set First National apart from its competition. Additionally, we'll continue to generate income and cash flow from our $33 billion portfolio of mortgages pledged under securitization and now $80 billion of servicing portfolio while focusing on the value inherent in our single-family uh, renewal book. In closing, I would like to add my thanks to the First National employees, partners, and customers
remarks. Now we'll be pleased to take your questions. Operator, please open the lines for the question. At this time, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from the line of James Gloin with National Bank. Your line is now open. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Good. Um, <clears throat> I just want to dive into the uh, the mortgage payment deferrals uh, and the four percent of uh, of MUA outstanding that's that's still on a deferral program. Um, are, are you able to uh, just talk through some of the rules and criteria that uh, that are in place today? Uh, how that's different from uh, the the initial program, and uh, maybe a little bit of color as to what's driving the four percent? Is it uh, zero payment? Is it no uh, no income, no job? What what are the characteristics of the borrower in that four percent? Yeah, so that's, that's that's an interesting question. Um, I think like most institutions, and at the time the program was instituted at the end of March or the, uh, April, there was a lot of misunderstanding about the program, certainly from the government. Uh, there was huge encouragement to go and take this deferral program. I think there was a lot of misconception that people uh, uh, felt that maybe it was a free program, that uh, you're just waiving the payment, so there was an element there, or there was no interest charge. Um, I think there would be a lot of people frightened at the time with the way to get liquidity. Certainly, I've heard some comments from the ESIPs that would indicate that a lot of the firms just ended up going into cash deposit. The criteria we would have on our deferral initially would be that uh, you have an attestation that you have a loss of income related to COVID. Second deferral, uh, it was that, but a little bit more beefed up to make people pause. We, uh, we concluded that because of the second deferral, we didn't have the resources to do the adjudication. But we, uh, when you go on the website and ask, ask for the information, uh, it says we, we can't, you have to have had uh, a loss of income uh, related to COVID. So we would think that just our sense, and what we are going to be implementing to the extent that we can is we're going to start reaching out to uh, a number of those borrowers now to see what we can do with respect to uh, perhaps going on repayment before the three months end, uh, get a little bit of understanding of why they're losing the jobs. Our intuitive sense would be that I think there's a lot of that took out mortgages uh, in the last year or 18 months um, are just failing themselves because of the form of liquidity. So it's a really, really easy way of borrowing money. So you can essentially borrow money with a mortgage coupon and then end up with a person's lost mortgage payment. So our, if we had a sense, we don't, don't think there's a big job loss there, but we don't have actual facts to, to, uh, to support that. That would be my, that would be our sense on that. We don't, we don't see that as a problem, but I can't, we don't have facts. One, one fact we did determine, actually, I think we got that from one of the mortgage insurers where they did an analysis of uh, 
mortgages, and uh, there were certainly a lot more people who had mortgages taken out in the last 12 months, 18 months, taking deferrals and help had mortgages uh, four and five years ago, which really uh, each of them would make sense. Hope that's some help. Okay. Okay. So just wanted to confirm today, if I heard correctly, that the program as it stands today still doesn't require proof of income loss. No. What we what we say, you, you they have to give an attestation, but we don't require them today to send in documentation to prove that. We have the right to go and ask them. They have to they attest that they had income loss due to COVID. So we we rely on the board. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, digging into the uh, into the origination number in the quarter for single family specifically, uh, are are you able to quantify or break down how much uh, of that origination number would have been uh, purchase activity prior to COVID uh, versus uh, activity post COVID or uh, acquiring mortgages from other lenders? So there's no issue of acquiring mortgages from other lenders. These are all, oh, I see, in terms of market share. So let, let me give you just the number that we would have uh, off the top of my head in terms of commitments. In April, they were down about 40%. May down 10. And June, they're up 50% compared to the same month in 2019. Uh, our conclusion that we are gaining share within the overall market, mortgage market, from branch and mobile sales force is probably based on the new June numbers. Sales, according to CREA, were up about 15%. Uh, we were very strongly correlated with the sales market. And so within that, then, what are the factors that explain the 50% uh, growth? Uh, I think one, one factor That would be our sense 
whole period? No, that, that's, that's, uh, that wouldn't be really a factor. We had a, we had a very strong March, but uh, numbers we see in June and of those, uh, uh, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but the percentage of sales uh, was high. And it was high, high and in line Right, right. So if I if I understood correctly, it's it's primarily on uh, on purchase activity where you're getting uh, the the origination flow, not so much from uh, transfer activity from other lenders specifically. We're not really we don't do a lot of transfers in. I think yeah. the surprising part was that such a large percentage was of purchases, and again, we think the mortgage uh, brokerage channel is really strengthened from the lack of the bank branch being open. And we gain market share in that channel, so it's really you know we've got these two advantages that have really made it uh, you know a really good quarter for us. And okay. the whole Salesforce channel uh, for the banks is formidable, but a lot of a lot of visits they do tend to be for referrals from branches. There's an element people go into the branch and and either they're fulfilled at the branch or they're uh, they're a hot referral to a, uh, a mobile Salesforce. So, uh, and transfer business just generally is is not a big business. I, I, you know, I'm trying to think. It'd be under five percent, might be two or three. It's not not a number we even track. Okay, great. And uh, actually, just my last one. I wanted to go back to the uh, to the deferrals. Um, I, I just want to confirm that the the decline in the in the deferral rate or so those borrowers that are no longer on a payment deferral program that those borrowers are off that program because they are now paying their mortgage not because they've uh you know they've they've, they've been written off or or you know some other other measure that would have kicked them out of the deferral program do you have a do you have a sense as to is it 100 percent of those borrowers are now paying their mortgage or is it uh, some other percentage We've added nothing to the default side of it. These are people are paying, and you know, um, there are people that have come on over that period that didn't take advantage of the beginning part. So the people that are actually coming off are probably a little bit higher than what's shown because we do have some new clients going on or that maybe lost their jobs in the last uh, month or two that do qualify again for this three months plus three months. So the amount that are coming back and starting to pay are actually a little bit higher than what you show. Okay, great. Thanks very much. Our next question comes from the line of Jeff Kwan with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is now open. Hi, good morning. Um, was wondering like what you're seeing so far, because you talked about Q3, looks like it started off pretty well. Um, are you able to talk about relative to what you have seen versus last year? Like, Are, are we tracking uh, similar sure. to Q2, in other words, uh, year over year? Yeah, I'll give you, uh, and this would be five to family and I'll give you a number that's not in the MDNA Jeff but we would think for the first 18 days of July uh, commitments are running at a level of 80% higher than uh, July 2019 okay sorry I just want to make sure I heard that right 80% is an 80% correct that's correct okay and are, are you able to say like from what you're seeing there is it largely driven from say Toronto, the suburbs of Toronto, kind of Vancouver, and then also too is it is it, you know, 
I, I'm guessing probably more driven by, call it more detached houses as opposed to condos, or? I, I uh, you know, I can't, I, I can't give you the breakdown um, uh, between Toronto, Vancouver, and the other markets in order to break down condos, other than to say it's, I've no reason, any indication I have or my sense in that, uh, Jeff, would be that it's probably in line with the Q2, where there's strong activity in uh, strong activity in Vancouver and Toronto, and not so strong in Quebec and in uh, uh, Alberta. So I would that would be that would be my sense, rather than material change, it's more a continuation of the June stream. And, and no the, and I think I I don't have a difference between condos and. Okay. Um, you know, obviously the, the housing activity would have benefited from the pent-up demand from the lockdowns due to COVID-19. Um, you know, how, do you, how are you looking at it, or what, what's your thoughts on it right now? Obviously, it's hard to say for sure, but, I mean, d does it feel like, you know, as we enter the fall and we kind of get out of peak housing season that things will taper off um, from a seasonality standpoint, but maybe still stay, stay strong in terms of the overall housing market recovery? Or do you think that there's some temporal um, reasons for what we're seeing right now? And as we enter the fall, things may, you know, maybe fall off a little bit more uh, than usual, given the situation we find ourselves in. You know, I, I think you got to go back to the last comments are that, you know, if the bank branches continue to be closed and more of the people that are purchasing, despite the seasonality of the purchases, are going through mortgage brokers, and because of our systems, we are tending to get a higher proportion of that market, then, you know, I think we should stay strong, whether, you know, we'll get a higher percentage, we hope, of what's available in the marketplace. You can't really tell what the market's going to be like. But if COVID stays like it is and branches stay shut down, we see that as a strong advantage for our product. We're really, uh, we're really in uncharted territory. I would say that within First National, this analysis of the shift from branches only really dawned on us probably when we saw the June real estate sales. And I, I would have said during June, we would have said it's pent up demand. Like if you, if you think of the sale, if you looked at March pre-COVID, uh, they were record commitment periods for First National and everyone else. That was, a, that was starting to have remnants of the bubble or the frenetic place of 2017, and COVID would have started that. So there's certainly pent-up demand. So to your, uh, breaking our questions to two things, where the real estate market is going, don't know. There's certainly pent-up demand, and I think that had a factor of buying real estate sales, which were 50% over June. Up demand and those sales didn't take place in uh, April and part of May. How how that's going to play, you know, I don't know that we know. Um, I mean, that's that serves as a million dollar question. We don't know. You one starts to have to think that if the economy slows down, that's going to be um, have an impact. Um, but the other factor is we're. We're grappling with, we, we see it's, uh, I think we're coming to a conclusion based on what we're seeing on our numbers, uh, 
certainly in June what we're seeing this this uh, this month in sales and what we hear uh, what we hear on the streets with respect to how the branch channels are doing at D16, where we seem to be picking up shares. And to Maury's point, uh, I think I could see that lasting. Um, and uh, just if you think of it anecdotally, uh, if you just think of anecdotal stories of people having they have to go into a branch. If there's lineups, difficult. Where do you bank? Where do a lot of people bank? A lot of people bank where they work. They buy a house, they, they, tend, to, they tend to walk down the stairs or walk across the street and go into their uh, branch and get a mortgage. We're not doing that now. And I think this is the opportunity where the realtor is saying, well, you can't go into your branch or you can't, look, I'll put you in touch with a broker. They'll deal with you over the phone or, um, and you can do it, do it that way and it's an effective, it's a, it's a point of differentiation. So it's a, okay. it's, it's new. It's new and it's different. The, okay. On the, um, the 975 pools and the prepayments, you know, obviously had an impact on the NIM in Q2. Can you talk about what the trends you're seeing so far in Q3 on, on prepayments? Has that kind of remained where it's at, or, or has the trend changed relative to how you exited Q2? I think we're going to continue to see those low interest rates. Uh, we've taken some steps with respect to uh, potentially offering more competitive rates on uh, one through three-year mortgages. Uh, so we'd be more competitive in the market, uh, in the marketplace, and uh, so we see that we certainly see that trend continuing. I think Rob alluded to the fact that um, we would probably have, um, notwithstanding those strong results, uh, we had some pretty unfavorable capital markets activities in the in April that would have affected their margins. And in many ways, uh, um, but you know, the, the, you know, our results are you know, very much, I think, influenced. The, the biggest factor here, Jeff, which uh, in addition to the larger volumes which we see continuing, would also be the wider spreads. And I, I think if you want to um, think of spreads, and I guess the one is just uh, five-year mortgage spreads relative to Government of Canada bonds. Maybe just one last question is uh, on funding side, institutional is, was almost 70% of originations uh, and renewals in the quarter. What you're seeing so far this quarter, do, do you think the mix will look similar for Q3 as it did in Q2, or is there some drivers that may, may move it different from what you actually had? Jeff, you ask this question every quarter. Who knows? <laughs> 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 I would say. 
say, uh, uh, I, I don't think we can say. There's certainly, uh, there's certainly the uh, financial system uh, is awash with liquidity, and where uh, mortgage assets, particularly government guaranteed mortgage assets, have very well been now. We're seeing more inbound calls from yeah. financial institutions than we ever have. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Graham Riding with TD Securities. Your line is now open. Hi, good morning. Um, I just wonder if you could maybe, if we could set aside the, the prepayment expense on the securitization side that you experienced, but just looking at, you know, you had wider mortgage spreads that you benefited from on the institutional placement side, but you noted that you had some NIM compression on the securitization side. Can you kind of explain uh, the differences or what was driving the, the, the difference there? Well, I think, I think the fundamental issue stepped in if I don't get it quite right along this side. dynamic there in terms of like the the variable rate mortgages within your securitization portfolio was that a dynamic at all or no be around 20% of your securitization book would be variable. Is that accurate?
And then just lastly, maybe the uh, the two point last quarter you quoted two point six billion of MUA, where you have some credit risk. That would be, I guess, your asset back commercial paper, and then your uh, your uh, on balance sheet commercial bridge portfolio. Can you speak to how those mortgages are performing from an arrears perspective? Fair enough. Okay, that's it for me. Thank you. As a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Our next question comes from James Gloin with National Bank. Your line is now open. Yeah, thank you. I wanted to follow up on the Excalibur program uh, in the quarter. Can you offer us any additional color as to how that program performed during Q2 and uh, and what you're seeing uh, perhaps early days in uh, in July as well, similar to the comments you provided regarding the, the overall single-family portfolio? Yeah. So uh, we continue that, and to And in terms of uh, origination activity and and what you're seeing in Q2, uh, was it uh, a strong contributor similar to what we're seeing in like GTA and, and BC numbers, um, or did you see any uh, any leveling off in uh, in the Excalibur program uh, either in Q2 or in July? And I'm I'm kind of thinking about you know this this program does target new Canadians. Have you seen any sort of impact uh, from from that demographic? Yeah, we're 
to have that uh, the same yeah. view on credit tightening. I mean, there's a little, you know, I think there's debate in here. That's not a core, that's not a core business for us. And uh, that's important. We'd like to, like to grow it, but we're, uh, I think, uh, I think uh, still a little bit concerned. Survey. Okay, and um, sir, and, and can you just remind me? Uh, you just said uh, eight percent uh, payment deferrals on the Excalibur program. Can you remind me what the number was in Q1, or as of May 11th, I guess? Higher. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't catch. I didn't catch that. Well, we're trying to figure we're out. Trying to remember. <laughs> we're trying to oh. remember. Can't remember. It was a little bit higher than our regular book, but not a lot higher. I thought it was a lot more. I thought it was. I thought it was twenty-five. Well, I'll have to get back to you on that. Okay. Thank you. That's it for me. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, Jamie. Mr. Smith, there are no further questions at this time. Back to you for closing comments. Well, thank you very much, Operator. Actually, this has been a record conference call. It's now gone 45 minutes. Generally, most of our calls, is, uh, they're, they're done in about 22 minutes. So I appreciate uh, uh, for the uh, active uh, Q&A session from everyone today. Um, we look forward to reporting our Q3 results in late October. In the meantime, thanks, everyone, for taking part in our call, and have a good day. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.